Thank you for listening to the Pops Podcast. In this episode, Aji is going to give us practical, real-world advice on how we can overcome any adversity. Take it away, Aji. In chapter 1 of the book of James, James teaches us how we face the trials of life, showing us that the demonstration of joy in the face of adversity and the development of patience and endurance are highly essential in living a successful Christian life. In chapter 5, verses 7 to 12, James goes a step further and offers us four specific admonitions that will help us overcome any adversity. Let's find out what those admonitions are. So when you read James 5, 7 to 12, and I'm going to read it to you. You can follow me. It's in your handout. It reads, James 5, 7 to 12, King James Version. Be patient, therefore, brethren. And by the way, brethren means brother. Be patient, therefore, brothers, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husband man waited for the precious fruit of the earth, and had long patience for it, until received the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord, for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the hand of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercies. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, and your nay be nay, lest you fall into condemnation. That is a powerful, powerful scripture. Let me give you the context of that scripture. The congregation in James's church, James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And there were persecutions going on. The Jews hated Christians because the Christians were becoming an institution that was becoming more, more powerful than the Jewish traditional religion. And they did not believe there is going to be anyone that will have access to God. But what these Christians are coming up and they are believing in Jesus Christ, whom the Jews and the Gentiles just crucified. So it was very, very, very uh, adverse time. Okay? The Jews did not like the Christians. The Christians were scared. Then the Romans were there who were the, in authority. And they were also running after the Christians. So it was during this environment that James was ministering to these people. It was a tough time. And he gave them four admonitions in the scripture we just read. And you could see the four admonitions because I've tried to actually outline it. The first one is patience. Patience is essential during adversity. The second one is establish your heart. The third one is grudge not. The fourth one is swear not. So I'm going to give you a way to remember this and you'll never forget. Write down pegs. P-E-G-S. P is patience. E is establish your heart. G is grudge not. S is swear not. So if I see you 
and you're telling me what's going on in your world, and it seems like you're going through adversity, I'm going to tell you, peg it, brother. And you should know that would be a code. That you exercise patience, you, you establish your heart in the word, and you grudge not, and you swear not. And you also keep that in mind, because there are a lot of people today that are in adversity. Since 2020, March of 2020, America has gone somewhere else. We've gone through COVID. We've gone through massive vaccination. We've gone through a presidential change. We've gone through all different types of situations. People have lost their job. We've never seen more people die in short a period of time as we've seen in the past two, three years. Half of the church are still at home. They will not come back to church. They hate their pastor. They hate the church. They don't like how things are run. They don't want to wear masks. Some are still wearing masks. There are different types of challenges out there. But what is the Lord? How is the Lord counseling us to go through it? The Lord is counseling us to go through it by pegs. Pegs. What does peg does? What does a peg? If you take a peg, what does it do? A peg does three things. And you know pegs. You use pegs to hold your clothes on the line, right? If you want to hang your clothes in the air, you don't want the storm to blow it away, you use a peg and you hold it to the, to the clothes line. A peg strengthens. You go camping, we just went to Cook Forest, you set up your camp, you got to attach it to a peg, stick it in the ground. It holds and strengthens your tent. Then also there are certain type of peg that conjoins. Conjoins. Like that. It locks into something else and it gives it strength. So what does patience do for us? Patience conjoins us with the Holy Spirit during time of adversity. Patience conjoins you with God. Patience strengthens you in the spirit. And patience holds you in place. Very essential. If you look at Galatians 5, 22 to 23. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against this. But if you notice, patience is in the middle. Patience is the crazy glue that holds everything together. Do you notice once you lose your patience, it's very hard to practice love, joy, peace, or anything else? Once your patience is gone, once your cool is gone... It's very hard to practice any of the other fruit of the Spirit. Try it. So patience is like a crazy glue. It holds everything together. It conjoins, it strengthens, and it holds in place. Holds you in place. Why should we be patient? In the short term, we have to be patient because justice is coming. You see, in, the, in this scripture, James says, Christ is coming back. He said, the Lord's coming is at, is at nigh. It's coming. That could be translated in two ways. In the short term, justice is coming. Be patient. Don't turn things into your hand. Justice is coming. 
In the long run, Christ himself is coming back. We are now living in the end times. The rapture will happen any time. And after the rapture, seven years after, we come back with Christ and we dominate this heart for the next thousand years. So Christ himself is coming back at some point to settle whatever injustices are going on. But number two, the most essential reason why we should be patient is patience is a key ingredient and highly essential in receiving the promises of God. Patience is a key ingredient and highly essential in re receiving the promises of God. But before we go any further, you might ask, what is patience itself? How do you define patience? What does it really mean? It might mean different things to different people. Let's see what patience is. Patience means to be of a long spirit, not to lose heart, to persevere patiently and bravely in enduring misfortunes and troubles. Patience means bearing offenses and injuries of others. See what I'm saying? When things are rough, when the people you thought love you or a brother or a friend that you think loves you stabs you in the back, when you are fired or laid off at work for no reason that you don't even understand, or when you are attacked by the enemy, you fall into sickness, or you encounter a certain storm of life, maybe relationship, separation, divorce, or maybe you're a loved one, your daughter, your son is no longer working with the Lord. When you are dealing with an addiction, addiction that is between you and God, you don't even tell anybody anymore. And you know it is wrong. And you want to stop. But you don't know how to go about it. When you've been on your third job, fourth job, and you are looking for something you like, but it seems like nothing is working out. You're tired. When you're about to file bankruptcy, and there's more days after the paycheck, and you don't know what to do. When you are being challenged and sued in a courtroom, injustice, misfortunes, offenses, injuries of others. This is when God tells you to exercise patience. As a Christian, patience is a distinguishing characteristic. When you've accepted Christ and the Holy Spirit lives in you, patience is your distinguishing characteristic. It's what makes you Christ-like. Nothing else makes you more Christ-like than patience. That is why you could really know the people that are saved. If you're the kind of a person that wants to say, hey, meet me in the backyard. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna figure it out today, man. I'm going to take off my shirt. Come on. Let's get to it. You're not patient. If you're saying, you know what, I'm tired. I'm just going to show them. Let me show them. I'm going to show them who I am. I'm just going to go there and go postal on them. How many shootings have we had recently for people that lack patience? Someone did them wrong. They got tired of it. The teacher, they didn't like the teacher or they didn't like some kid in the class. Or their parents did something to them. Then they just decide, you know what, we're just going to go shoot it up, man. This is going to be the day. I'm just going to go blast people off. What are you going through tonight? What's on your mind? What challenges are you facing? Where have you been struggling? 
The Lord is saying patience. Patience. Patience because justice is coming. And I told you earlier, patience is critical because that's the only way you're going to enjoy God. Look at 2 Corinthians 1.20. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. All the promises of God are yes. You could look from Genesis to Revelation. All the promises are yes. But how do you get it? Hebrews 6.12 tells us, So that you may not be lazy, but imitators of those through faith and patience inherit the promises. You inherit the promise of God, not just faith alone, faith and patience. And it is work. That is why he said, so that you may not be lazy. It is work. Whatever promise you are standing on today, you need faith and patience. For example, look at Abraham, Hebrews 6.15. He said, so after Abraham had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Abraham patiently endured. How many people know, when did God told Abraham he was going to give him a son? At what age was he at the time? He was 75. At what age did Abraham get Isaac? 100. God has to work on Abraham's thinking. He has to adjust and correct his faith over that period of time. But he finally got the promise. So what promise are you standing on today? Are you standing on a marriage promise? Are you standing on a financial promise? Are you standing on a health promise? Are you standing on restoration for your family? That promise is yes and amen. It's guaranteed by the blood of Jesus Christ that that promise shall manifest. But your part of the equation is faith and patience. Faith is that you believe God, that what he says is coming to fruition, and that patience that you wait for the appointed time. So we're talking about pegs tonight. And the title of our message tonight is How to Overcome Any Adversity. How to Overcome Any Adversity. And the first, the first exercise in overcoming adversity is patience. The acronym is pegs. The second exercise is you have to establish your heart. There are many that establishes their heart on CNN. Stump establishes their heart on Fox. I used to take the train from Castle Shannon to downtown, and the people who have Wall Street Journal, and they know how to read the Wall Street Journal. You know how big it is, with someone sitting here, someone standing, hanging, and they will fold it. They know how to fold it and read the whole paper in a 45-minute time. They have established their heart in the Wall Street Journal. What are you establishing your heart in today? What gives you the assurance? Is it a particular broadcaster, a particular news, a particular podcast? Is it someone you respect? God says, you have to establish your heart in his word. Why? Because for patience to come, it comes through the word. The word of God is the source of patience and strength. Also, the word of God is the tool you use in developing emotional and mental toughness during adversity. Emotional and mental toughness. When you are tempted to punch, the word of God is what's going to restrain you. When you are tempted to say it and tell it like it is, the word of God is what's going to restrain you. 
When you're about to go on Google and research about all the problems, and you're going to just put your belief in the data, the technical data, the scientific, the latest scientific observations about your situation. When you're about to say, you know what, I need to talk to that psychologist, therapist. I need to travel and see this person. I'm not saying all those people cannot help, but at the end of the day, if you are really interested in establishing your heart, you got to go to the word of God. You are playing games if you are not going to the word, because that's the only thing that will hold you. It's the only thing that will conjoin you with God. It's the only thing that will strengthen you, and it's the only thing that will hold you in place. When the storm of life is blowing, and everything is moving, and everybody is trying to just stand still, the word of God is the only thing that will hold you still. How do we establish our heart? Proverbs 4, 20 to 21. Proverbs 4, 20 to 21. My son, listen to my words. Turn your hair to my sayings. Do not let them leave your eyes. Keep them in the center of your heart. Joshua 1, 8 says, This book of the law must not depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may act carefully according to all that is written in it for then you will make your way successful and you will be wise who would like to be successful and wise here tonight right there right there <laughs> this is the god of the universe the god that created this beautiful day he's telling you you want to be successful you want to be wise he said this book of the law must not depart from your mouth that means you need to be saying something. Don't be too cool not to say something. I underlined in Proverbs 4.20, I underlined ear, I underlined eyes. In Joshua, I underlined mouth. Then also in Proverbs 4.20, I, I underlined heart. The establishment of your heart begins with hearing, Seeing, thinking, and meditating, and speaking. If you are not doing those four things, you cannot establish your heart. That means you have to wake up in the morning and you have to say something like, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in the green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you, Lord, are with me. Or you might need to say something like this. The joy of the Lord is my strength, and the Lord is the strength of my life. Even when everything is looking like you should be crying and grieving, you wake up and you say, the joy of the Lord is my strength, and the Lord is the strength of my life. Or when the doctor sends you home and says, you know what, you have six months to leave. You have to say something like, by stripes I am healed. It does not matter how I feel, what it looks like. I respect the doctor, but you know what, by stripes I was healed. Your mouth has to be involved. Your hair and your inner drums, your hair drums, has to pick up what you are saying. Then you got to think and mull it over. If you notice there is nothing here about feelings. It's not how you feel. We Americans, we like to feel. Oh, I just feel like that. It just hurt my feelings. Oh, you know what? I'm just hurt. I just don't feel like that. You know what? That's a manzy pansy. Don't even put that in your vocabulary. The spirit thinks you know. How many people here feel gravity right now? Do you feel gravity? 
No, but if I go on top of this building, I'll fall to the ground, right? Gravity is there. The word of God works. You just have to know it. Don't be waiting for goosebumps. All right? Don't wait for goosebumps. Oh, I just don't feel like it. I don't feel like going to church today. I just don't feel like saying anything. I can't be like that crazy African guy, man. He gets all excited about it. No, 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 no. It's not about me. It's about what the word says. The word says if you're going to establish your heart, it's going to start with listening and hearing. It's going to start with your eyes as to make contact with the verses. Your mouth has to get involved. You can't be too cool. Don't put out a three-piece suit and say, you know what, I can't lift up my hand. I don't want to see anything. I mean, after all, I went to Harvard and I got a PhD. We are not taught to do it that way. We are too cool. If you do that, the devil will still kill and destroy you. Okay? I'm telling you the truth. This is the way you take what belongs to you. This is what the enemy fears. You become an Hollywood actor. In the promises of God. You declare it. You say it. You rejoice in it. You accept it. And you will see the manifestation. Every time. Look at what Job 22 said. Job said, submit to God and you will have peace. Then things will go well with you. Listen to instruction and store them in your heart. We are talking about steps to take in times of adversity. Steps to overcome adversity. And the first thing is patience. Number two is establish your heart. Number three is in verse nine. Grudge not. Grudge not. <laughs> very, very essential. Remember, James is instructing the oppressed believers in his church not to become irritable toward one another and begin to grudge, grumble, complain, and gripe. Because during a difficult time, it's easy to get our eyes off the real issue and want to put the blame on others without saying, you know what, after all, it did that. If it weren't for what my neighbor did, that wouldn't have happened. It's my wife's fault. It's my boss's fault. It's the president's fault. It's my pastor's fault. Or sometimes we even blame ourselves. It was my fault. But God is saying, under no condition should you grudge. You should not say, man, they did me wrong. No, 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 I can't just take that. I will never forgive them. They did me wrong. And you hold a grudge. Because every time you grudge, there is a consequence. There is a spiritual consequence. Let's read it. Numbers 21, 5 to 6. Numbers 21, 5 to 6, read. And they began to speak against God and Moses. Who are these? The children of Israel. They began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? They complained. There is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink. And we ate this horrible manner. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were beaten and dead. Many were beaten and dead. Where did it start from? Speaking against God, griping, speaking against leadership, Moses. And many were beaten and dead. How many people have linked that there are some people dying today because they are grudging, grumbling, complaining, and griping? We never think of that. Nobody ever thought of that. Have you ever gone to the funeral home to view someone and you say, oh, maybe they died of griping. Nobody ever said that. 
But you might say, well, RG, come on, that was in the Old Testament. That's, shh, the blood of Jesus has cleansed that. That doesn't happen in the New Testament. Well, let's read the next scripture. 1 Corinthians 10, 9 to 11. And this is Paul speaking, the guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He said, don't grumble as some of them did, referring to the scriptures we just read. Do not grumble as some of them did, and then were destroyed by the angel of death. Why is he telling us that? If it does not apply to the New Testament. What Paul is saying by implication is, if you grumble like some of them did, you might die like some of them did. So Paul is saying, if you don't want to die like some of them did, do not grumble. Then look at verse 11. These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. Paul was saying he was living at the end of the age over 2,000 years ago. If Paul was living at the end of the age 2,000 years ago, how much more are we living now closer to the end of the age? And Paul is saying, do not grudge, do not grumble, do not complain or do not gripe because it might kill you. You see, our scientific mind, we are, so, we are so advanced in the West that we don't think these things, but these are spiritual truth. Don't watch the news and say, I can't just stand in. I can't stand them. Or go to church and you are quarreling with your pastor. You see, I wrote here in my note, irreverent speaking, grumbling, complaining against God and spiritual authorities brings destruction and death. Irreverent speaking, grumbling, and complaining against God and spiritual authorities, that includes your pastor, brings destruction and death. There are many that are sick because they've talked against the pastor, they've talked against leadership, they've grudged against everyone, and nobody could find out what's happening. Brothers, this is very important. I want you to live a, a long life. I want you to be blessed. I want your children to see you for a long time. I want you to be a grandfather. I want you to enjoy all that God has for you. Please do not grudge. Do not complain. Do not gripe. Because it wears you out. It depreciates you. And eventually will kill you. If there is something that triggers it, if there is a show you like to watch that gets you all worked up and the nerves is boiling and you're like... Your knob is <laughs> bulging the side of your head anytime you listen to Maybe it's a talk show host on the TV or a particular podcast that just gets you all walked up and you're like, <clears throat> stop watching it. If you do, it might kill you. It's not worth it. So we're talking about pegs. Patience, establish your heart, grudge not. Now we're going to talk about S. And we're going to camp here a little bit tonight. Verse 12 says, swear not. Swear not. Let me give a disclaimer here. When we are talking about swearing in the context of the Bible, we are not talking about cursing. We are talking about taking oaths based on something or someone bigger or stronger than the person taking the oath, which in most cases involves invoking God's name. Have we had someone make a statement and they'll say something like, I swear to God, I swear to God. 
Have you had someone say something and say, you know what, if I'm lying, let's not, let me be struck by lightning. Are you taking oaths and you're, you don't know you are taking oaths? Are you being hung by the tongue and you don't even realize it? That's what he's talking about here. Making irrational, ash statement about yourself or loved ones to verify your statement. I swear to God. God is my witness. Do not swear. Swear not. Look at Exodus 27. Exodus 27 says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold guiltless anyone who takes his name in vain. The Lord will not hold guiltless anyone who takes his name in vain. And I want us to look at that scripture a little bit closer. James 5, 12. But above all things. But above all things. What does that word but mean? In Greek, that word but means de, D-E. I know what it means. That word but in Greek, not in English, in Greek, de, D-E. It means categorically or emphatically or most importantly. James is saying, I've been talking to you and giving you all these advices. Be patient, establish your heart, grudge not. But above all, most emphatically, most importantly, I'm about to tell you something you must not do. Something that you should consider out of the realm of possibility. Do not swear. That's what he's saying. He said, but, dead, categorically, emphatically, most importantly, brethren, brothers, swear not. That word, the term swear not, is a Greek word called omnio. O-M-N-U-O. Omnio. And it means to swear or to make an oath. It pictures a rash of threatening oath. One who is swearing that he will take matters into his own hands. That's what it means. One who is swearing that he will take matters in his own hand. So James is saying, above everything else, most emphatically, most importantly, I categorically appeal to you, do not swear. Are you the kind of someone that you like to add something to your statement to gain integrity? You have to make a kind of a statement to kind of give your statement some level of truth or veracity. If you're that kind of a person, it might be the kind of person James is talking about. Swear not. And again, why is he telling his congregation that? Because the people that he was talking to have been exposed to continuous injustice. They are tired, they are worn out, they are exhausted from waiting for things to turn around for the better. They have been waiting. They are just saying, when? When are we going to get some justice? And the temptation to take matters into their own hands was at an all-time high. They are starting to say, you know what, what are we going to do? Do we know where he lives? Because these people, their paycheck was being taken from them. They were being ripped off. They were being robbed. They were being stolen from. They were being cheated. And they are being tempted to say, you know what? We know where he lives. Maybe we need to do some home-style justice. And James says, above everything else, I emphatically and categorically appeal to you, do not swear. And he says, neither by heaven 
neither by the hearth, neither by any other oath. The word neither is mentioned three times. Three times. And whenever the scripture repeats a word, there is a reason. That word neither means meti. It's called meti in Greek. M-E-T-E. Meti. And you know what meti means? Never ever. It indicates keeping something out of the realm of possibility. And is the equivalent of saying, don't even go there. Do not consider this. Neither do not swear, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath. So James is saying, therefore, we are not to swear or make a threatening oath by heaven or by the earth or by any other pledge, oath or threat. But he says, but let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Again, look at that. He put the word but there. What does that but mean? Day. He's saying, Categorically, emphatically, definitely, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Let your yes mean yes and your no means no. Don't try to add to your statement. It weakens you. Be a man that will say, oh, did you do that last night? Yep, yep, did it. Don't say, oh, you know what, I swear to God. Yeah, yes, I did. Oh, God is my judge. Oh, psh. Or you say something else. Answer simply, yes, no. When you do that, you become a man of integrity. You become a true Christian. You are Christ-like. But when you try to verify your personality reputation by adding more words, it weakens your personality. And it exposes you to threats. Look at what James 5.12 says in the Amplified Classics. James 5.12, Amplified Classics. But above all things, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be a simple yes and your no a simple no, so that you may not sin and fall under condemnation. So James is saying the retribution and the revenge business is God's business and not yours. Don't take matters into your hand. Look at Romans 12, 9 says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Then he closes the statement by saying, Lest you fall into condemnation. Lest you fall into condemnation. Let's look at that phrase. Lest you fall into condemnation. I want you to hone in on the word into. Lest you fall into that word into in Greek is hupo, H-U-P-O. And you know what it means? Under. Under. That word condemnation, you know what that word is in Greek? Crisis. But the crisis is spelled different from English. It's K as opposed to C. K-R-I-S-I. So basically saying when you swear, you fall under crisis. It pictures someone who makes the matters worse and creates a worse crisis. Hence, self-inflicted troubles. Think about that. The moment you swear, you are creating a crisis, a worse crisis, and you are inflicting trouble on yourself. You are making the matters worse. It's like someone on fire and saying, give me more kerosene, give me more gas, and you're pouring it on. Instead of the trouble 
dissipating, but you begin to swear, and you make it worse. The word crisis describes judgment by others or self-inflicted judgment. When you take hold, you are inflicting judgment on yourself. And I'm going to give you examples tonight. Brothers, you won't hear what I'm preaching tonight at church. But you need to know. Because you could short-circuit your life and the quality of your life if you don't heed what we are talking about here tonight. Patience. Establish your heart in the word. Grudge not. Don't fight with your wife. Don't fight with everybody. Don't hold grudges with the whole neighborhood. Every time someone did something to you, oh, this guy looked at me. Oh, he crossed my path today. He just, he didn't even say good morning. You're grudging with the pastor, grudging with the wife, grudging with the dog. You don't like the dog. You don't like the cat. You don't really like the pastor. You don't like anybody. Just holding multiple grudges. You are a man of grudges. And then when someone comes to you, you blow up and you begin to swear. James said, don't do it. Stop it. Cut it out. Look at what Jesus said. I always love what Jesus said. Remember, James is the half-brother of Jesus. So let's look at what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said about this topic. But I say to you, Matthew 5, 34 to 37. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, the one who shed his blood for us on the cross. God is speaking to us. He said, but I say to you, do not swear at all, at all, no chance. Do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes means yes, and your no mean no, for whatever is more than this comes from the evil one. So the Lord Jesus Christ takes it a step further. He said, when you swear, you open yourself to the evil one. You are saying, Satan, come on in. Come and wreak havoc in my life. That is why your yes should be yes. No matter how anybody threatens you, maybe at work, maybe at home, maybe it looks like something, you're going to lose something, just say, you know what, yes. No. Say no more. Don't heighten it with oaths and start making irrational statements, trying to justify your veracity and integrity and reputation by saying, oh, yeah, but if you... And the more you say, you are creating crisis. Self-inflicted judgment. Things begin to get worse. This is very important, brother, and I really believe you are chosen tonight to hear this message. I don't know what this will mean to you. I don't know what danger the Lord is trying to avert for you. I don't know, maybe it's going to change the temperature of your marriage, your relationship. Maybe it's going to elevate your relationships. Maybe it's going to help you perform at work. Maybe it's going to strengthen your friendship. Look at James 5.12 in the Passion Translation. Above all, we must be those who never need to verify our speech as truthful by swearing by the heavens or the earth or any other oath. But instead, we must be so full of integrity that our yes or no is convincing enough. And we do not stumble into hypocrisy. Let's look at some examples. Because whenever I study something in the Bible, I want to say, you know what? When did it happen? What is the consequence? If I did what it did, it already told me. I won't be condemned. I won't self-inflict. 
I'm going to overcome my adversity. But what about if I swear? What about if I just decide to continue my old good boys or my old way of doing things? And I'm going to keep swearing. Let's look at an example. I want you to look at Genesis 27, 12 to 13. And this is in the end of, it will be the last four scriptures at the end of your, at the end of your handout. Genesis 27, 12 to 13. This was Isaac. Isaac wanted to bless Esau. Isaac had two boys. Isaac and Rebekah, they had two boys. Jacob and Esau. So Isaac, their dad was very old. He said, Esau, I want you to go out there and get me some deer meat. I love your deer meat. Go out there and do it. And if you do it, I'm going to bless you. Rebekah, the wife of Isaac, likes Jacob more than Esau. So he said, Jacob, you know what? Dad is about to bless your brother Esau, and he has gone out to get some deer meat, but I really want you to get the blessing. So you know what? We're going to trick Dad. Go put on Esau's coat. We're going to make you Esau and pretend you are Esau so you could get Dad's special blessing. So I just want to give you that context. So let's read now. Jacob said, what if my father touches me? What about if dad figures it out, mom? Mom, this is kind of stupid. Have you ever told, <laughs> have you ever told your mom or dad, this is kind of stupid? What about, and this what Jacob was saying, mom, you want me to pretend I'm, a, I'm Esau? What about if dad touches me? He will see that I'm trying to trick him. And then he will curse me instead of blessing me. Now, I want you to watch what Rebecca is about to say. And this is why you should never swear. But his mother replied, then let the curse fall on me, my son. Just do what I tell you. Does she have to say that? No. But she said, let the curse fall on me. Do you know the curse fell on her? How did the curse fall on her? Because that was the last time she saw Jacob alive. Jacob took off and ran to Laban, trying to dodge the anger of his brother Esau. Because Esau later found out Jacob stole his blessing. So there was strife in the house. Number two, that curse that Rebecca said, let the curse fall on me, the curse fell on her. She never saw her son ever again. She died. Well, you might say, well, IG, I don't know if I would just draw it to that. Maybe that's a coincidence. Maybe that just happened. Well, let me show you another one. I will let you be the judge, but I did some research, and I said, Lord, let me see some people that make some oath, and let me see what happens to them. Let's look at Genesis 27, 41. So again, right after this event, when Jacob had stolen Esau's blessing, Genesis 27, 41, Esau held a grudge. Well, you know why? Because... Jacob just stole his blessing. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Do you really know? He was planning on killing Jacob. The only thing that saved Jacob was Jacob traveled far away. But there was strife between these two brothers for over 20 years. And Esau will have killed Jacob, just like Cain killed Abel. Let me show you another one. Look at Genesis 3, 31 to 31. Genesis 31, 31. But as for your gods, see if you can find them. Again, this was, again, related to Jacob. Jacob had gone to Laban, 
and Jacob had decided to, eat La to, to leave Laban. Laban was his uncle. It, is what, it was where he fled to when Esau was pursuing him. And after 21 years of service to Laban, Jacob decided to leave. And when he decided to leave, Rachel, his wife, Jacob's wife, took one of Laban's gods. And let's look at what happened. But as for your God, see if you can find them, because Laban came after Jacob and was looking for his gods, his idols. And this is what Jacob said. But as for your gods, see if you can find them, and let the person who has taken them die. Check that statement out. Laban, his uncle, was looking for the idol. He came, he looked around, but when he got to where Rachel was, Rachel said, Dad, I can't stand up because I'm having my period. But meanwhile, she had stolen the idol. And Jacob made an oath. He said, let the person who has taken the idol die. He made an oath, an inadvertent statement that can cause later problems. Oh, you might just say he was just talking. Do you know, brothers, that Rachel died shortly thereafter? Rachel was giving birth to her second son, Benjamin, and she passed. So while Rachel did not succumb to the curse immediately, several years later, her life was cut short. Don't cut your life short by swearing. Don't bring crisis into your house by swearing. Don't curse your children by swearing. You see, you are a righteous man and death and life are in the power of the tongue. And when you swear, you are inviting evil forces to carry out what you are saying. In the moment of anger, in the moment where you are ticked off, in the moment where you're, you're very, very, you've just lost it, and you begin to just let it fly, watch what you say. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Mark 6, 23 to 24. Again, we are looking at examples where people made oaths, and we are seeing the outcome of it. How many of this outcome has been positive? None. None. You've just read about four of them. This is going to be the fourth one. Nothing good came out of it. There was family strife. People died. Their life cut short. And he promised her with an oath. Who is he? Herod. Herod was having a party. The wine was flowing. There were many important guests there. And Herod was very happy. So you could see people make oaths when they are very happy. And people make oaths when they, are, when they are really ticked off. And people make oaths when they are not either angry or ticked off. But an oath is an oath. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, like gravity is always there. You don't have to feel it. You could be hung by your tongue. Look at what happened. Mark 6, 23 to 24. And Herod promised her with an oath. Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The mother said, the head of John the Baptist. Brothers, that's what killed John the Baptist. 
Herod made that oath. He wasn't going to take it back because all his friends were there. And he told one of his servants, go get me the head of John the Baptist. So the head of John the Baptist came off because someone made an irrational oath. Whose head is coming off because of the oath that you made? Because of something you said at work? Or maybe you are the Budweiser too many and you said something. Or maybe you are just so happy or you just had a cup of coffee and you said something. Or maybe someone ticked you off and you just decided to chew them out and just tell them like it is. Rip them off. Or maybe it's your little boy. He came in and the report card wasn't good. And say, you're just a goofball, man. You know nothing. You're just like your mom. You're just so dumb. You're so stupid. Cursing that boy. Irrational oaths. You're so stupid. You never amount to anything. Who do you think you are? Or maybe it's you making an oath to yourself. I'm just so stupid. I am stupid. Nothing ever works for me. I live paycheck to paycheck. Making oath upon yourself. Hanging yourself with your curses, with your own mouth. Then years later, you start to see little Bob could never excel. Because you cursed him when he brought the mad grade home and he scored an F. Instead of saying, little Bob, we're going to help get you some help. We're going to get you, we'll get you enrolled. You decided to chew that little boy out and tell him he was stupid. Now when he becomes stupid, you are now crying. But you never knew it was your oath that made him stupid. Brothers, we live in a word-activated universe. This globe is activated by your word. You'll be blessed by your word or you'll be cursed by your word. Choose your word carefully. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Whatever you might be going through, practice pegs. Be patient. Establish your heart in the word. Grudge not and swear not. I love the analogy Aji uses about us becoming Hollywood actors. Learning God's word and writing it on our hearts takes discipline to recite it over and over again as if it's our job to memorize our lines. If there's any lies you find yourself speaking over yourself or anyone you know, how can you replace those with truth? In Christ, we are kings and priests. We are successful in the eyes of the Lord. Because of Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross, we are born again into his family with brothers and sisters who love us and care for us. We are never alone, not even in the shadow of the valley of death. We will fear no evil, for the Lord is with us. Replace those lies with truth to overcome your adversities. Patience, establish your heart, grudge not and swear not. That's all we have for today, but we want to thank you for tuning into the Pops Podcast. Until next time, God bless.